listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Anyone else got goosebumps with Angelica's uh, sharing? See, we're not, we're not praising her. We're praising God in doing that because through her weakness, God was made strong and glorified. I, I mean, there's just so many of us like Angelica, myself included. In fact, I didn't coordinate with her, but today we're going to talk a lot about anxiety, uh, fear, and how do we respond in joy. Um, and it's, it's encouraging for me to know that you as a congregation and newcomers have responded so well because, well, a lot of us go through that brokenness, through that need, through that, uh, that fear, that anxiety, that depression, and some of us even have mental disorders. Today I'll be talking to a general audience, though, but we have people here, like myself and others, who definitely have struggled with this throughout most of our life. If we think about anxiety, the first thing that comes to mind is 9-11. Today is 9-11. So what I'd like to do is just start with just a very brief moment of silence and prayer for those who have been affected in some way. So let's, let's make room for silence and then I'll pray. Father, we, we come before you uh, with, with all the different scars that we've uh, attained throughout the walks of life, and we, we remember with compassion those who have in some way been affected by the tragedy of 9-11. In fact, we've all, we all have been. It's changed the way we live. It's changed the way we think. It's made us more anxious in the process. Um, I pray that that somehow, through this continued remembrance every year, we see the glory of God, and that we may rejoice in the sufferings by knowing that you are bringing to completion an amazing work. You are bringing to completion and fulfillment a new heaven and a new earth. We pray for all of the families who lost loved ones that day. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Well, if you've been with us for the first couple of weeks, week one, Pastor Jason opened up with his powerful testimony about how he has struggled with depression and how he looks to Jesus who promises that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. He used that to say, look, Christians aren't exempt from suffering, okay? That's the stigma. That's the stigma that we as a church have to break. We have to tell people that it's okay to not be okay because Paul, Peter, and many others in the Bible tell us that suffering will happen. So how do we respond to that suffering I think matters. And as he said, Paul says that we can wait. We are waiting for the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So there is a happy ending, right? There is a day in which we will no longer struggle with our infirmities, our insecurities, our sadnesses, our fears. That will all end. And then on week two, uh, Dr. Mark came in and he showed us the medical side. I loved that talk because I'm in a department and a division at Cal Baptist University where I'm part of the faculty of math and science. So I loved hearing that, and especially because some of the things that I struggle with are uh, 
a physical in nature, a biological in nature. So it was awesome to hear Mark talk about the medical understanding of the biological factors in mental disorders. His encouragement was that Jesus was there for those who were afflicted and sick. And so it is our job not to judge or to see people in a weird light when people suffer from a mental disorder, but rather to be compassionate and see it as it is just one more of the areas that they're seeking rest in Jesus. Today, I am praying that we can get through a message that I'm calling fearless joy. Fearless joy. And my, my hope is that through the Bible, I can walk you through what Paul is telling us is the ultimate state of mental health, the ultimate form of mental health, fearless joy. See, joy in the Lord is the ultimate form of mental health. It is. And we see that for Paul, the apostle who wrote many of the letters in the New Testament, he over and over again tells us about the joy that we should have in Jesus, and in fact, a lot of times says, rejoice. In Philippians 4.4, he says it emphatically. Let's look at Philippians 4.4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And it's so important that he says, again I will say, rejoice. Now, it seems like a small phrase, and it's just saying, rejoice in the Lord, but there's so much implied there. We have to understand that when we say that we are to always rejoice in the Lord, that does not mean, once again, as Jason said, that suffering doesn't happen. Notice what Paul is doing here. He is placing the object of his rejoicing specifically in Jesus. So there's still affliction, there's still suffering, but he says, rejoice in what? The Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always, which means that when you are in the midst of your suffering, and there will be, you still look to Jesus to drink from the cup of salvation that he provides, that cup of grace that overwhelms the suffering that we have. It will overwhelm it. Again, we are in a broken world. We are broken by nature, but he is working in us. And in the meantime, until we, de- we wait to the day of completion, we constantly drink from that cup of grace and salvation. In fact, in Romans 5, it's not up on the screen, but he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And after that, he even says, we also rejoice in our sufferings. So the object of the rejoicing, the very thing that he clings onto to rejoice and put all the suffering aside is the focus of the hope of the glory of God. We hope in the glory of God because God has given us a set of promises and those promises He will deliver on. This isn't hope, as we've said before, that might or might not happen. This is a guaranteed hope. So hoping in God and in the glory of God, hoping in His promises is 100% guaranteed. And that's why we can rejoice. We can see that Paul says... Yes, you understand we're rejoicing, but this isn't some like uh, Pleasantville place where you rejoice and you never suffer. In fact, when he's talking about how the church is seen from outside, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he shows the paradox of the Christian life, which is that of rejoicing, but yet suffering as well. 
It's, it's just that weird mix, that paradoxical, uh, that paradox of a mix. While we wait till the day of completion, we have this mix of sorrow yet joy. And the world sees it as it is, in fact. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, he says that basically we are seen uh, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Do you see again the link of the word always rejoicing? When you study your Bibles underlying all those qualifiers, we just saw in Philippians 4.4, it said rejoice in the Lord always. So here, this is how we get the proper context. He is saying, yes, rejoice always. We are always rejoicing, but yet we deal with sorrow. So it's not some plastic rejoicing. It's not some, I'm ignorant of reality stuff. rejoicing. Yes, I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It's a response to the sorrow that's always rejoicing. It's a response to the sorrow to say and look at the hope of God and say, yes, I will rejoice in Jesus because all of this will someday end. One day it will all be brought to completion, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. See, the truth is, We don't need the Bible to remind us of a simple fact. We are multidimensional human beings when it comes to our emotions, right? We're not just one emotion all the time. We are a mix of emotions. Throughout the day, we go through a roller coaster of emotions as we interact with different people, different circumstances. We become anxious, we worry, we get sad, we get happy about something, then we remember why we can't be happy about something. And we just go through this roller coaster of emotions, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So again, multidimensional is how we describe the emotional components of a human being. It makes sense. It's not really paradoxical at all. It's the response of the rejoicing that counts in the midst of the sorrow. Now, anxiety can make us doubt our hope in the promises of God, and anxiety can rob us of joy. And that's why we talk about anxiety today. Because the ultimate, as we said, the ultimate form of mental health is that rejoicing always in the midst of sorrowful. Rejoicing always. So what can rob us of that joy? Anxiety. Anxiety can rob us of that joy. And it's not a coincidence that when you look at that passage, Philippians 4, verse 4, a few verses later, Paul is addressing anxiety. Because he understands that one of the things that can rob you of your joy, interfere with your joy, is anxiety. It can rob you of your joy. There's many different things that I've seen listed around surveys that will tell you all the different things that people worry about. People worry about the area they live in, basically the crime levels, are they in a safe environment? They worry about their pet's health. That one applies to me. If you know me, I'm a dog nut. (laughs) Uh, If our dressing sense is good, like am am I, you know, did I select the appropriate clothing or do I look like a weird dork? Meeting uh, work targets or goals throughout the year, am I living up to the expectations my employer has on me? Whether we're good parents whether we're raising kids the right way, especially when weird articles come up on Facebook that make, make you question whether you're raising them right or not, as if they're the experts. <laughs> a friend or a family member that you may have fallen out with. Whether you'll find the right partner 
or you have the current right partner, meaning spouse, whether you've found the right spouse or you don't have the right spouse for you, whether your marriage is still a happy marriage, whether you need to find a new job, whether you're happy or not, whether you are on top of paying your rent or your mortgage, worried about your physique, I worry about that one a lot, wrinkles or aging, appearance, job security, thinking about where you will be working in 10 years, financial and credit card debts, my diet, low energy levels. I mean, does anything start to ring a bell? I think we can, all of us, start checking a few like, yeah, that applies to me. And my favorite, getting old. <laughs> I have a, an old man's back. Uh, I have a condition on my back, and so I'm always worrying about uh, getting older than my numeric age, <laughs> especially with all the worrying and the anxiety. So worry leads to anxiety. Now let's separate the two. We need to understand because people use anxiety differently, and we need to understand when the Bible says do not be anxious, we need to understand what type of anxiety the Bible is referring to. Worrying is instinctive and normal in us. In fact, it's an emotional response to the things that we're supposed to do. You worry about paying your debts because you're supposed to pay your debts, right? You worry about being a good parent because you're supposed to be a good parent. Worry is normal, and it's a normal emotional response. It is. So what is anxiety in the biblical sense? In the biblical sense, anxiety is the wrong response to initial worry. Let me say that again. Biblical anxiety is the wrong response to the initial worry. Okay? And keep in mind, I'm speaking to a general audience, not necessarily mental disorders, because I have an anxiety mental disorder, so I understand that it's a little different. But biblical anxiety ultimately is having the wrong response to initial worry. And it gets in the way of joy and, in, and of functioning in real life. If your worrying is getting in the way of what you have to do in life, if it's getting in the way of your duty as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as an employed person, as a whatever it is that you do and part of your life, if it's getting in the way of that, that's the biblical anxiety that we see here. When it gets in the way of functioning and it robs you of your joy. That is the biblical anxiety. Worrying, at least the initial worry, is normal. Did you know Paul worried about the church? On multiple occasions, he even said anxious about certain situations in the church. Did you know Jesus worried about the temptation and disciples? When he was praying so that they would not fall into temptation, he worried and he went over and over again to his disciples and said, pray for the, uh, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So there is a normal and healthy level of worry. But there is a point at which worry, prolonged worry, and unresponsive to the worry, that is the biblical anxiety. It's also about how you respond to it. Paul recognizes anxiety directly threatens your joy because he said a few verses after he talked about rejoicing, here he is saying ultimate form of mental health is to rejoice in the Lord, and a few verses later he says, do not be anxious about anything because that can get in the way of joy. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 26, we have Jesus 
talking to us about anxiety. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither uh, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? See, what he is doing here is reminding us of the reliance that we can have in a good father. Let's break down to very basics the process of worrying and over-worrying. Do you remember when you were a kid and something scared you? You went to your dad. And you said, hey, uh, you know, maybe it was a, a, a lightning storm or something really scared you. What did you do? You run to your dad or your mom. You say, I'm scared about this. Like, are we going to be okay? And there was nothing more comforting to you than when he said, do not worry. And he would give you an explanation or some comforting words. And then you just walked off. Everything was okay. See, when we hear the promise of a good, good father... As a, res- as a response to our worry, we run to the Father, we present it to Him, and we trust our Father and our Mother so much that we listen to those words, and it dampens out the worry. We don't typically, again, there are exceptions, but we don't typically see a kid that's like, yeah, Dad, I'm hearing you, but I'm still freaking out. I hear you. Yes, you're going to take care of it. I don't really believe you. We don't typically see that. So that is ultimately what the Bible is addressing here. How do you respond to your worry? Do you run to the Father, seek the comfort of His promises, and be at ease, even though your dad just said everything's going to be okay and you don't understand how it's going to be okay? So that's, that, that's what Jesus is doing here. And, and why does this happen as Christians? This is probably the midpoint and most important part of the message that we need to understand is that What causes this is that in our sinful nature, we forget the promises of God, okay? Or momentarily, subconsciously, subspiritually, we stop believing for a second, in some level, the promises of God. That is the problem. We forget. We forget what he provides, what he promises, what he will take care of, as Jesus was just trying to remind us. Jesus is reminding us of that. So here's the first important step to killing your anxiety. The first important step to make sure anxiety doesn't rob you of your joy is to remind yourself of his promises. This has to be not just like, oh yeah, I remember God said this. This means that to your anxieties daily, you must go to the Word and find those promises, pray through those promises, cling to those promises, just over and over again, run to the Father in that fear, run to the promises of God, and watch it start breaking anxiety free. But I'm... I'm, you have to understand, I'm not saying think for five seconds that day or for two minutes about the promises of God. This has to be consistent throughout your day. As you feel the anxiety, you pray over a promise of God. Ooh, that's powerful. Pray over a promise of God in your life and you will feel it. You will feel the difference because you're hearing the promise of a good, good father that's saying it's going to be okay. You don't need to know how it's going to be okay. You just need to hear that powerful father say, it's okay. 
He's going to take care of you. That is ultimately what we need to do. Remind ourselves of the promises. Jesus does this a few verses later where we were just reading. In verses 31 through 33 of the same chapter, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those were the non-Jewish people, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that we worry about will be added to you. That is a promise. That is a promise of Jesus. See, if you're worrying every day like I do, you need to cling to this verse. And whenever the anxiety comes to rob you of your joy, you cling to it. And you got to even meditate on it. Why can't I trust you, God? Oh, yes, you saved me. You freed me. You love me. You created me. You, I'm your workmanship. I'm your craft. You care about me. You speak to me every day. You want me to seek you and rejoice always in you. So if all that's true, I have to believe your promise here. And you got to cling to it all day as you're walking through the daily trials and, and all the things that you're doing. You must cling to that promise. There's no promise by God that he will break. Amen. There's no promise he's going to break. So when you go in faith and you cling to it like you are guaranteed of it, something powerful happens, especially if you really do it. Again, not a couple of seconds. Just enjoy the word of God speaking to you every day. Remind yourself. You know, reminding yourself is a lot like talking to yourself. Psalm 42:11 uh, I don't think it's up on the screen. Psalm 42.11 says this. This is the psalmist speaking to himself, reminding himself. Check this out. I love it. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope. Hope. Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Hope. You see it? Hope in God. He delivers his promises. Why are you sad? Why are you in turmoil within me? You have to talk to yourself. You really do. You, there's this struggle between the old and new you, so you got to remind them what God is promising. You have to do that. Martin Lloyd-Jones said regarding this psalm something I love. The main trouble, and keep in mind, he's talking about Psalm 42, verse 11. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, in a sense is this, that we allow our self to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. That's kind of weird, but it makes sense. If you listen to that inner bad dialogue instead of talking to it, reminding it of the promises and the hope of God, what a big difference it would be. Change your inner dialogue. You're quiet. You're quiet. You're listening to the wrong side of you. you got to talk to your side and tell him, I 
believe and await the guaranteed hope of God. Hope. Hope that's guaranteed and does not, does not make us hope in vain. So what, why do we do this? See, in reminding ourselves, we're going through a recipe of how to not let anxiety rob you of joy. In doing this, you remind yourself of the promises of God, your faith increases. So what's the natural response to faith? Now you go and you have a powerful prayer. There's a difference between a prayer that's kind of just mumbling and a prayer that comes as the result of faith that goes walking like the little kid to his father and says, I need this. There's a faith-filled walk to God. Once you remind yourself of the promises of God, now your prayer changes. You're not free from anxiety yet. You understand this? You're not free from anxiety yet. Anxiety has come to rob you of joy. You have proceeded to go to the promises of God. Remind yourself of the promises of God. Now you're faith-filled, but you're still anxious. So what do you do? You go to the Father with that faith of the promises of God. Pray with faith in His promises and receive supernatural peace. You can't do this step if you haven't reminded yourself of the promises, if you have not changed the inner dialogue, as we said. So change the inner dialogue, talk to yourself instead of yourself talking to you, as we said, and now in faith, in his promises, you can receive through prayer supernatural peace. This verse that I'm about to read, which is a couple of verses later, two verses uh, specifically in chapter four, was a life changer for me before I went to grad school. When I finished my undergraduate degree, uh, a friend of mine, her name is Kayla in Puerto Rico, she gave me an index card full of passages because she knew I struggled with anxiety. And one of them had this, and it has never left me ever since. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See the promises of God feed my faith. I exercise my faith in prayer and I receive a supernatural peace. This isn't peace the way we humanly seek it by trying to solve our problems. This is supernatural. God provides it when there is no sense to have it. It surpasses all understanding. It makes no sense. Why are you at peace? I don't know. It makes no sense. Right now I got a lot of stuff happening in life and uh, I lost my job and um, I can't pay my car and my rent, but I have peace. I don't know why. That is supernatural peace. And he provides it as a response to the faith-filled prayer. See, notice a couple of things here. It says, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. See, you're presenting it in prayer and you're thanking. That is faith. You have to understand, without reminding yourself first of the promises of God, you can't have that type of prayer. That type of prayer, which is already thanking before you've received, that's a faith-filled prayer. You present everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, faith-filled prayer, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. I mean, that's so powerful. For me, again, I struggle with anxiety my whole life, and 
the only way that I consistently tried to solve my anxiety was to outthink my anxiety, and it just makes it worse. I try to figure things out. That's what I do. I'm a mathematician for crying out loud. So I try to figure out problems. That's what I try to do. I try to solve them. When I can't solve a problem, I become anxious. This speaks to the very core and the very fibers of my personhood. It's, it's, it's a piece that requires me to let go, to let go of my need to control. It is so, so powerful. So do not be anxious about anything, but the only way to receive that peace, again, is in that supernatural uh, process. Let's recap what we've done. We said we talk to ourselves when anxiety tries to rob us of joy. We talk to ourselves and receive faith in the promises of God. We remind ourselves of who God is, and that fills us with faith. Then, as a response responding to that very faith, we pray to God, knowing He will deliver. You thank before you receive, and then God provides you peace so that you are not robbed of your joy. So that you are not robbed of your joy. Anxiety was a big concern for Paul because he knew this is one of the things that is a joy killer. Anxiety is a joy killer. Speak to yourself. Then, once you are filled with faith after speaking to yourself the word of God, pray and receive that peace. Now, there's a final component here, though. This peace is supernatural, and it is not possible unless you've become a believer. You will experience levels of peace in this world if you're not a believer, but in becoming a believer you have supernatural peace because at the end of that verse, it said, in Christ Jesus. And when Paul says in Christ Jesus, he's talking about those who are in Christ through the faith. So we need to have a relationship with Jesus. We need to have had faith, listen to this, faith in the most important promise of God, salvation. The most important promise of God. I cannot believe all of the other promises, supernaturally speaking. I can't get the peace for all my other fears if I don't first get the peace that God provides through salvation. He is our peace. I need to first seek that. I need to make sure Christ is moving my very soul every day. And when that is done then I can participate in this supernatural peace. And you know what's awesome is that the, the joy and the peace that comes then feeds your hope. And then your hope feeds your joy and peace. And your joy and peace feeds your hope. And your hope feeds your joy and peace. And your joy and peace feeds your hope. This is a cycle and it's on purpose. The ability to trust in the promises of God comes from first trusting God's ultimate promise in Jesus. That's our last point. The ability to trust in the promises of God comes from first trusting God's ultimate promise in Jesus, the promise of salvation. And I just walked you through a weird cycle there, right? Hope, joy and peace, hope, joy and peace. It's not made up, it's biblical. We end with this verse that says, excuse me, that is in Romans chapter 15, and it's verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, walks us through the cycle of killing our anxiety. It says in verse 13, May the God of hope, there it is again, hope, 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that's the initial belief. In believing in Christ for salvation, He gives you joy and peace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Wait a minute. Verse 13 just said, hope gives me joy and peace. And now it's saying that that joy and peace will make me abound in hope. Do you see the cycle? It's an ongoing cycle of protection against worry. The God of hope, He gives you hope, will fill you with joy and peace in believing. So, I love how Paul does this weird stuff. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Hope, joy, and peace. Joy and peace feeds hope. Hope, joy, and peace. Joy and peace feeds hope. All over again. See, when you hope in God and you see Him deliver, what happens to your hope? It increases. (laughs) When you see God deliver on His promises, your hope goes up. You have joy and peace as a result of that hope, and that increases your hope. I'm happy God delivered today. Now I can trust Him for other stuff. That's the endless cycle of that. But it starts, and it's only available in believing, as it says in verse 13. So we can't access this supernatural peace unless Christ is part of our lives. This makes profound gospel implications for the world. Because if the world is lacking peace, we want to take the gospel to them so that they understand that ultimate peace from all of the discomfort and that peace that they seek because they've been robbed of joy can only be found supernaturally in Jesus. You don't find peace from anxiety in solving your circumstances because no one solves your circumstances. Problems will always abound in life. But having a peace that doesn't depend on my circumstance, having a joy that doesn't depend on my circumstance is far more powerful. It is a, Daddy, I trust you faith. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but you told me it's going to be okay, so I'm clinging on to you. When sin tries to break your hand away from the Father, remind yourself with the promises of God. Then pray filled with faith and receive supernatural peace. That is my hope for us as a church and for me because I struggle with anxiety as well every day. This passage is my mantra every day, if you will. I pray over it because I need this peace. So as the band starts to come up, I want to pray for us that we may first rely on the promises so that we may have prayers that are filled with faith and receive supernatural peace. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good Father. You provide for us. You free us. You deliver us. You save us. You have so many promises for us. You have plans for good for us. You crafted us. All our days were written before we were born. You knit us in our mother's womb. You have promises that feed our faith every day. May we seek in your word those promises and not just read them, but savor them, marinate them in our hearts, listen to them over and over again till our dialogue of the Bible beats up the inner sinner dialogue. Let's quiet that dialogue, win the conversation. Father, empower us to do that through your word. And in doing so, may we find that supernatural peace 
that only you can provide. As the ushers come forth, we pray for the tithes and offerings as well. We pray that they may be multiplied, that they may be used for exactly their purpose, which is to spread the kingdom of God so that others may find peace, that others may come to experience fearless joy, joy that isn't robbed of anxiety, by anxiety, but rather fearless joy because we respond to our worries by running to the Father. Multiply the tithes and offerings. Help us in this week and all the weeks to come as we grow in our reliance towards you so that we may have fearless joy. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.